Every day is an awakening. Every new morning, it brings new opportunities, new life emerging from the ground. And we long to, to stretch wider and reach higher and develop influence and make a difference. But if we want to grow from tiny sapling to a mighty oak, we need to, we need to develop deep roots. This expansive network hidden underneath the surface, this unseen growth that gives sustenance and strength and support and life. And if you're, if you're desperate for refreshment, if you're desperate for renewal, and for life to feel more stable, you're not alone. The Bible teaches that there's power and that there's strength that's accessible if, if we want it. Something greater, this powerful force able to, to reshape a tiny trickle of a creek into a, a mighty roaring river teeming with life. And if we abide in Him, we grow and we bear fruit. But apart from Him, like we end up dry and barren. So what do we have to learn from Jesus' last conversation with His disciples in an upper room before the cross? We learn the secret, the secret to fruitfulness, to flourishing, to giving life, and to living life. It's abiding, not striving. It's resting in Him, not pretending. It's finding who we are from Him and living from His presence, strengthened by His Spirit. And when we do, our eyes are open to the world around us and we encounter life in all of its fullness. We will be revived. We will be transformed. We will awaken and we'll awaken the world. Welcome to Crosspoint, and we are so glad that you're with us. If it's your first time, I want to welcome you. And uh, at Crosspoint, we just want you to know you're welcome here. Everybody's welcome because nobody's perfect, and with Jesus, anything's possible. And we desire to be a place. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. So whether, whether this is all new to you or whether you are returning to, to faith, uh, we're, we're glad that you're here. And one thing you'll need to know about Crosspoint is we are one church with many locations, with multiple locations across Middle Tennessee. And I want to give a shout out to the Hendersonville uh, Hendersonville campus, and uh, and just welcome uh, J.B. Powell. We have a new campus pastor, J.B., his wife, Christine, and kids, Grant, Max, and Clara. Um, they have recently, we've been praying for you and, uh, and praying for a new campus pastor there that God would bring us one. And they moved from California. Uh, they heard that we're getting in and out in Tennessee, and so they follow God's call. <laughs> Um, to, uh, to Tennessee, but we know there was an answer to uh, prayers, the prayers that we were praying, the prayers that you guys were praying. And so can we just all welcome together uh, the Powell family? So glad to here. I love this, this season of Awaken, where we're asking God to awaken our hearts. And one of the things that you received last week was a, was a prayer card. And you got a little bookmark and a prayer card with a, with a place to pray for five names where you could write five names down on this card to be praying for them. And, and with Awaken, what we do is we take fasting and we take prayer and we take intentional prayer for people in our lives who are close to us, but maybe far from God, or people who need to know the hope of Jesus in their life. And we just, we pray consistently for awakening for us and awakening for them, awakening for our neighborhoods, for our communities, for our cities. And, and whenever we, we join um, fasting and prayer with um, our neighbors, and we begin to pray for our neighbors, like God begins to move. Whenever we begin to pray for other people, God begins to move. And, uh, and, and some of my best stories 
come from times of, of fasting and prayer for neighbors. One of those stories that takes me back to 2001, Rhea and I had been married for a year, and we, uh, we lived in a starter home. And, and in the house that we lived at in, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, the house that we lived at, the neighborhood, the houses around us kind of all backed up together. And, uh, and, and so I remember about around that time, I prayed, I prayed, God, would you, would you give me an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus? It had just been a long time since I had a conversation with somebody about Jesus, and I was just burdened with that, and so I made that my prayer. And I went for a run that day, and it's, it's, you know, I'm running around the neighborhood, and I finally get toward the end, and I look over, and I see a guy that's standing in a house about three houses down from mine, and it's my neighbor, and he's just, he's just standing there watering his flowers. And I just sense, like in me, I just sense, like, that's the person you're supposed to tell. And I was running, I'm like, nope. And I just keep on running. And so I kept going. I go to the house, and I just, I felt like I had a cinder block in my, in, my, in my heart. I mean, it was just way down. Like, that was the moment. Like, I was supposed to talk with him and share with him about Christ. And, and then I was like, no. Nah. And I kind of put out this, this, I was like, God, if he's still out there, I'll talk to him. But if he's not out there, I'm off the hook. And so I was kind of making a deal, you know, kind of putting a fleece out there like Gideon. And, I, and so I go back and I, I kind of, you know, put back on my shoes and I, I go back out and I move toward his house and I see he's still there. And I was like, mm. and, and so then the cinder block turns into butterflies. You know, have you ever had those moments where your palms are sweaty and your mouth is dry? You know what I'm talking about? You know what doing those moments? Lick your palms. And so like, and so in that moment, I started, I head toward the house and I start kind of, you know, coming from, and I've never met this neighbor, this new neighbor. And so I, I go over to him and I say, hey, my name's Kevin. What's your name? He says, Scott. I said, hey, Scott. And I, just say, I said, hey, man, can I share my story with you? And he's like, yeah. And so we said, here's still, he's watering the lawn. I'm just talking to him. I said, man, I said, years ago, I just kind of tell him what, what Jesus did in my life. I said, man, I was lost without purpose. And I tell him my whole story. And we kind of get to the point where I was like, I came to faith in Jesus, and Jesus forgave me of my sin and gave me new life, gave me new hope, and uh, man, he can do the same for you. Um, Scott, does that sound like, does that make sense to you? He's like, yeah. I said, Scott, does that sound like something that you'd like to do today? And he said, no. <laughs> I was like, okay. And so I just took off, and I ran back to the house, and I thought in that moment, I was like, maybe I heard God wrong. Like, maybe I got, maybe I, like the frequency was off, and I just, I heard God wrong. So that was 2001. Fast forward two years. I was a student pastor at a church, and, uh, and through a series of events, God had called us to another church that was about eight miles down the road, 12 Stone Church. And so it was the night when I was going to tell the students that I was leaving the church that I was at. And so I waited until the last moment to leave the house. And Rhea and I were there at the house, and got a knock at the door. I go to the door, open up the door. And there's a guy standing there. He said, hey, Kevin, I don't know if you remember, but I'm Scott. I said, yeah, I, I remember. It was the guy. And he was like, I'm Scott. He said, I was, uh, I was driving by your house. I was on my way to church, and the Holy Spirit told me to come and tell you thank you. I was like, holy what? <laughs> he said, the Holy Spirit. He said, um, six months after you stopped by my house that day, um, I gave my life to Jesus. Gave my life to Jesus, and he said, he's changed my life. He said, and, uh, and I'm on my, way to, on my way to church right now. I said, you're on your way to church. I said, what, are you, uh, what church are you going to? He said, 12 Stone Church. I said, bro, 12 Stone Church on a Wednesday night. What do you do at 12 Stone Church on a Wednesday night? He said, I work with the high school students. 
I said, what do you do with the high school students? He said, I'm an intercessor. I was like, what's an intercessor? <laughs> he said, I go in a back room and I pray. I pray for the students. I said, you pray for the students? So what, what are you praying for? He said, well, one of the things, we're praying for a new high school pastor. I stuck up my hand and I said, I'm the new high school pastor at 12 Stone Church. <laughs> and it was like that moment in the matrix when the bullet stops and it was like, what just happened? I just hugged him. I didn't know what else to do. I was just, I'm a hugger. And so I just, I hugged him. I'm like, man, I, I was like, this is crazy. And Scott went on to become a close friend. He became my prayer partner at that church. We led mission trips together. I officiated his wedding after that. And it was just like, I'm just telling you, you have no idea what God will do when you fast and pray for other people when you fast and pray for your neighbors, when God begins to move. Now, I can't promise you that he's going to give you a new job. I can't tell you that, he's, that he's gonna, uh, your neighbor's going to come to Christ. I can't promise you that. And I can't promise you that your neighbor will become your prayer partner. But what I, what I can promise you is that God will move. In fasting and prayer, God moves. He moves in the lives of other people, but he also moves in us. It's not an ATM that we go to to make a withdrawal. It's a potter's wheel that we get on. And a potter's wheel is where a potter shapes the pot. See, it's in fasting that God works in our lives, that he shapes and he molds and he transforms, that he makes us more like Christ. You don't know what God's will for your life is, is that he would make you more like Christ, that he would form Christ in you. And fasting is just one of the ways that he does that. And so if you're new to conversation about what fasting looks like, I want to invite you to go to a resource that the team has put together, crosspoint.tv slash awaken. And when you go there, what you're going to find, you're going to find a fasting guide. You're going to find some information about this next month. It's not too late to get in. In fact, there's, I'd encourage you to get a calendar. Just pick some days that you would fast and pray with us. And there's a guide. And we also have a, a daily prayer guide to help you through each day of this month. So you can jump in, not too late. Go to that site and, uh, and check that out. And then we've got a daily podcast that the team's put together to help you pray. All of these are resources and tools that we put together to help you follow Jesus and help you pray and experience God in that way and experience God moving around. See, we don't just want transformation for us. We want God to transform and do a work in our lives so that the people around us experience the love of God, so that we're made difference, different so that other people can be awakened. So that's what Awaken is all about. I want to encourage you, check out that resource. And I'll just say a couple words about fasting. If, um, if, if for some reason you're unable to, to fast from food, maybe because of health reasons or because you got a baby in your tummy or because you maybe, maybe you've suffered with some eating disorders and you're like, yeah, fasting may not be right for me in this season. Whatever the reason that fasting doesn't work, there are other things you can, you can fast from. You can fast from, and you'll see that in the guide. You can fast from Netflix, social media, um, movie. I mean, there, there are other things that you, can, that you can fast. I just encourage you to whatever that next step is for you to take that, take that next step. Because really what we're doing is we're, we're setting aside um, temporary, the temporary things of this world for, for what's eternal. We're letting our spiritual desires rise above our physical desires. What we're doing is we're, we, we might be fasting, abstaining from something that we want, but really it's about what we want more. And we want to experience more, and that's the move of God in our lives, that we would know him more. And, uh, and, and so we're gonna, while we're going to fast, we're going to feast. And uh, we're going to feast on his word through this series. And we're going to look at this Jesus' last conversation, the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples and the conversation he had there in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. So today we're going to look at John chapter 14. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. John chapter 14. And um, 
And we're going to look at this last conversation that Jesus had. And, and something about a final conversation or something about a last conversation just has a way of getting etched on your soul. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? Can you remember your last conversation with them before they, before they pass? A few weeks back, I was at um, Mount Juliet. Annie was teaching. I was at Mount Juliet campus and, and um, had a conversation. I met, um, met Greg and Julie, his wife, Julie. And, uh, and Greg, um, we sat down and Greg let me know that the doctors had told him that he had weeks, maybe, maybe months to live. And, uh, and as we were talking and just, just sharing, um, Greg looked at me. He said, Kevin, he said, I'm not afraid. He said, I'm not afraid. He said, I'm sad. I'm sad for Julie and I'm sad for the kids. But I just, I, I, I'm not afraid. I trust in God. I trust in Jesus and I'm not afraid. And I remember the look in his eyes. Don't just remember the words he said. I remember the look in his eyes. But it was something about that conversation. It just edged in my soul. And I heard from Pastor Ben last week that, that Greg went to be with Jesus. And so I want to ask you to be, be praying for their family, for Julie, and for, for their kids. But there's something about that conversation that just, just stayed with me. And the, the look in his eyes, the peace that he had. And that's what takes us to this, this final conversation in John chapter 13. John 14 is what we'll look at, but I want us to make a stop at John chapter 13 first. And it sets the context for, for 14. It says, It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, the Greek word to the end, where we get to the end, actually means fully. It means completely. So it's saying he loved them fully. He loved them completely. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them perfectly. And what does he do next? Well, he washes their feet. Now, what's interesting about this is nowhere in ancient literature do you find someone of higher status washing the feet of someone of lower status. And here we have Jesus, Lord, Savior, Messiah, the, God, the one who created, the one who created these people who he washed their feet. He's down. He humbles himself and he washes their feet. He does the most menial task in the room. What would be reserved for other people, Jesus serves. He washes feet. Do you know why Jesus washed feet? because feet needed to be washed. Because <laughs> the way they'd sit at the table, they would recline with their feet out to the side and nobody wanted somebody's stanky feet up next to their shawarma. So they're all sitting at the table, recline low to the table. And so they're thinking, they're dirty feet. Nobody washed feet. And Jesus washed feet. He met a practical need. See, what amazes me is about how present Jesus is. Have you thought about that? He knows what's gonna happen next. He knows that in 24 hours, he's going to the cross. And yet he serves, he, he's, he's so present. I mean, I can get a sideways letter from the HOA and it throws me off the rest of the day. Somebody can cut me off in traffic or flip me the bird on 65 and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just sideways the whole day. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. He knows that he's gonna die. He knows that in 24 hours will be the end of his life, but yet he's so present. There's so much peace. And he turns his attention, he turns his focus to them. He sees their need. And what is amazing about this, what amazes me about this is how much he loves. I mean, how perfectly he loves. I don't know if you've thought about this, but he washed Judas's feet. The one he knew that would betray him in hours, the one he knew would turn his back on him. Jesus washed his feet and he fed Judas. He fed him and he, he washed his feet. Jesus 
he loves perfectly. And so he does all this, and then Judas leaves the room. And then Jesus, he just, he shares his heart. He tells him how he's going to die. He tells him he's going to be betrayed. He tells him that, that Peter, the strongest leader in the bunch, is going to deny him three times. And he gives them the hardest news they've received in their life. Like the cancer's back. Or like the divorce is, is final. Or like the company's saying, we're going to take things a different direction and you no longer have a job. Or the bank calls the note. Or the tumor is inoperable. Or I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. They get the hardest news they've received in their life. And they feel like the world is caving in. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. Take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus, in this conversation, he's awakening us to an eternal perspective. He's helping us see an eternal perspective. He's helping us see that I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare this place for you. And I, where I'm going, I'm going to get you so that you can be where I am. And I'm preparing this place for you. He's, he's helping open the disciples' eyes to, a, to an eternal perspective. And that's what he wants to awaken us to. He wants to help us see. He wants to give us eyes to see an eternal perspective. That upper room was a room with a view. When Rhea and I... Um, came to Nashville for the first time together, just us, um, we stayed in a hotel. And we went to that hotel room. And when we got up to the hotel room, I don't know if you're like me, but I like to go in and open up the curtains. I want to see what's the view. I want to see what do we got? What are we working with? And so I'm looking. I'm like, I want to open up the curtains. And I want to see, is it the Batman building? Do we have the Cumberland? What's going on? Am I over Broadway? Is there a, gar is there a courtyard? What do we have? And I opened up the curtains and I saw a brick wall. <laughs> and I was well, that wasn't exactly what I was expecting. And I wonder how many of us in life open up the curtains of our situation, of our life, of what we're going through, what we've experienced, some news we've received. We open up the curtains, and we're only able to see a brick wall. And maybe in that brick wall, we've given up hope. We've gone to despair. We feel discouraged. What Jesus wants to do today, no matter what room you're in, no matter what news you're dealing with, no matter what your situation, he wants to open up the curtain and give you eternal perspective that you would know that, that upper room had a room with a view. That upper room was a room with a view, and it was a view of eternity. And he wants to bring a view of eternity into whatever room you're in right now, whether it's a living room or a bedroom or a classroom, hotel room, locker room, hospital room, waiting room, prison cell, that he would give you, fling open the curtains and give you a view of eternity to give you eternal perspective. So what I want to do is I want to highlight some key truths from this passage that would hopefully encourage you and help you have an eternal view, no matter what room or what news you find yourself with today. If you're taking notes, the first thing you can write down is this place is not your home. This place is not your home. 
This place is not your home. What Jesus wants us to know is that our life is a vapor. It's like a mist. It's like on one of those 20 degree mornings where you just breathe out and you just see your breath and then it's gone. This life is fleeting. It's only for a little while here on earth. But we were made for eternity. We were made to live forever. It says he has put eternity in our hearts. It's why the temporary things of this earth can never fulfill the eternal longings of our hearts. Because we were made for eternity. And this place that we're in, this world, is is not our home as it is. And that's why Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's a perfect place. So I prepare, I'm preparing a perfect place for you. And when you think of this place, um, don't think angels on clouds playing harps. It is everything you long for in Christ. That Jesus will be there. And your, your longings will be fulfilled. We're talking Eden restored. We're talking new heavens, new earth, where beauty and justice and love and things are as things and relationships are as they should be. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Look with the eternal eyes. Oh, that we would have eternity stamped on our, on our eyelids, that we'd be able to see with eternal perspective. But we can get so caught up in in the things of this world, we can forget about eternity. I want you to imagine that Rhea and I really liked that hotel room except for the brick wall. And imagine that we went and we cashed in all of our life savings and we went and we, we just decorated the place. We're like, hey, we're gonna get a new bed, put a new bed in there, we put a new carpet, we put, we get, we get a new, you know, in the, in the bathroom, retile. We, like we completely overhaul and completely re, imagine that we, we spend our life savings redoing that place, even though we're only gonna stay there for a week. You say, you're crazy. So that's, that's ludicrous to think. You wouldn't put um, what is permanent into what is temporary. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't store up treasures where, where moth and rust and things can be destroyed. He says, store up your treasures in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, live for what's eternal Live with an eternal perspective. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's, that it's wrong for you to decorate. And I'm not saying for it's wrong for you to have great art. And I'm not saying it's wrong to get new carpet. I, just, I, I, I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, our father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home that when we do all of those things, it's with one eye on eternity and at the same time we do it for the glory of God that we would use those things in those places for eternal purposes. That we would see what we have, what we've been entrusted to on this earth with an eternal perspective because this place is not our eternal home. There's a better place coming. And not because of the streets of gold or the pearly gates, but because Jesus is there. Jesus, his presence is what makes it heaven. And I long to be with him. I long to be with him. And he is preparing a place for us. And at the same time in this life, he's preparing us for that place. So this place is not our home. The second thing, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. is that Jesus is the only way. I love Thomas. Thomas is like, how do we get there? He's like, Jesus, can you drop us a pen? Because we don't know how to get there. And Jesus 
He's like, we, 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 we say you're going somewhere, but we don't know how to get there. Can you tell us the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which sounds like a very exclusive thing. Because it is. Jesus is saying, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he sat with those disciples, and they broke the bread, and they took communion together. And what he was saying to them in that moment is, if if there's any other way, if there's any other way than me laying down my life on the cross, if there was any other way to make you reconciled with God, if there was any other way for you to receive forgiveness of God, if there was any other way for you to know the mercy of God and the grace of God, if there was any other way, then, then we would have done it. He said, not my will, but your will be done. May this cup pass for me. If there was any other way for your salvation than this cup, then we would have done that. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which is, which is exclusive in that Jesus is the only way. But I want you to hear, it's the, most, it's the most inclusive offer that the world has ever known. He said, whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. What he's saying is that anybody and everybody can get in on life with God. That every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everybody, the world has never known an inclusive offer like this. That anybody, no matter, no matter what socioeconomic background, no matter what family history, no matter what, what, what culture or what religion or sexual history or rap sheet or things that you've done or what was done to you or what you did last night or what you did last year. or Anybody and everybody can get in on this offer in life with God. Jesus, I am the way. For you to be made right with God. That's the offer that Jesus, that Jesus brings. And when they look back, they look through history and they read about one of the major criticisms of early Christianity was that the early church would, would, would welcome anyone. That they would take in anyone. Slave or free. Rich or poor. Man or woman. Greek or barbarian. Everyone was accepted out of reverence for Christ and came together in the common belief on what Jesus said and who Jesus is. And so Jesus tells the disciples, he says, I'm the only way. This gives us eternal perspective. It gives us eternal perspective because we live differently, because we want people to know him. And it affects how we see other people in the room because we know that they've been accepted by God. We accept them as well out of reverence to Christ. And we want every person in the room to know the hope and the peace and the joy and the love and the offer of Jesus that he gives. That's number two. And then number three, if you're taking notes, you are not alone or on your own. The disciples are afraid. And look at what Jesus tells them in verse verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's what I want you to see here. 
Jesus promises that when he goes, he will send the Holy Spirit to live in us, to live in you. If you've put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit doesn't live. You need to know the Holy Spirit doesn't live in a building made by hands. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have the very Spirit of God. And Jesus said an advocate, one who would advocate for you. You have, a, you have a teacher. You have a guide. You have a counselor. He says, I haven't left you as orphans. I haven't left you alone, but I will send my Spirit. You need to know you belong to him. He has put his claim on your life. His Spirit lives in you to empower you to live the Christian life. You can't live it in your own strength. You can't live it in your own power. The only way we can live the life that God has for us is through his, through his spirit being in us. He says, I will send my spirit and my spirit will remind you. How many of us need reminders? He says, my spirit will remind you of everything that I've taught you. I'll bring it to mind. I've given you the gift of my spirit. He said, I don't give like the world gives. When the world gives, the world, world takes back or the world holds back. He says, I give fully and completely without take backs. I put my spirit in you. And then he says, look at my eyes. My peace I give to you. Look at my eyes. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the cross. Jesus tells him, I'm not afraid of the cross, but the same peace, the same shalom that you've seen me live with in my life here, in our life together, I'm giving to you. He wants to give that peace to you, and he has given that peace to you in the Holy Spirit. I don't give as the world gives. I give for good. And when the spirit of God gets in a person's life, transform. That's what I saw with Scott. Scott was transformed. Scott was changed. Scott was a different dude. I got to see that. I got to see him grow in faith. I mean, it was amazing what God did with his life. And God just, he completely transformed him. Scott married Jennifer. They had a couple kids. He felt called to the mission field, felt called to go to China. They were preparing to go to China. He ended up moving to North Georgia, opened up a restaurant called Sharky's. They had pretty good chicken wings. And uh, he and Jennifer lived there. They were opening up a house of prayer for the nation. It was just a heart for the nations. I mean, Scott, just his life was completely transformed. And then we kind of, we'd, we'd talk about once or twice a year, just kind of catch up. He lived a, about an hour and a half away. And then one day I got a phone call. Um, I got a phone call that there had been an accident. And uh, Scott was chopping wood and uh, a tree fell wrong. And, uh, and they said he was, he, was, he was hurt really bad. And uh, that was all the news I got. And so I hopped in the car and I drove up to North Georgia and I got to the hospital. And, uh, and I walked in and, and Scott was in that room and he was, he was hooked up to machines that were keeping him alive. And I remember I, I held his hand and, uh, and prayed with him and with his brother and, uh, and I just, just went over and I looked out the window. And, uh, and I remembered, I remember that truth that, that the last time I'm seeing Scott here will not be the last time I see Scott. And we'll be together again one day. And that was the last time I saw Scott here on earth. And I left the hospital, met with Jennifer. We began to pl plan for the, uh, for the life celebration service. And, and young widow, two kids, two young kids, she, um, she said she wanted to speak. Which I was like, are you sure? And she said, yes. 
And I'll never forget sitting, sitting in that church, and I was sitting on the front row, and she was up there speaking, and she read this scripture. Now, I've, I've heard the scripture before. I've, I've studied the scripture. In, in, in seminary, I studied the scripture. So I've, I've, that's not the first time. It's not the first time that I heard the scripture, but it was the first time that I heard the scripture like this. And I want you to hear 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. This is what she read to all of those who were gathered that day. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And what Jennifer did that day is she flung open the curtains and she kicked a hole through a brick wall. And she said, this is not the end. Fix our eyes on what is eternal. And so today, whatever, whatever situation that you're in, whatever room you find yourself in, whatever hard news you've received, today Jesus wants to open the curtain and give you an eternal perspective to let you know that there's a better place coming, that this world is not our home, and this is not the end. He wants you to know that he is the way to that place, Jesus is the way, but he's also the way through whatever you're going through. And he wants you to know that you're not on your own and you're not alone. The Holy Spirit has been given to you in Christ to give you strength, to give you guidance, to give you counsel, to give you power, to continue taking steps and trust in him. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see with eternal perspective. And all of this started with a meal. I want to invite you to get the elements in your hands. On a meal that last night, before he went to the cross, he was with the disciples. And with some bread and with some wine, he gave them a meal that he would say, as often as you gather, when you're together, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And let me just encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and there's no pressure to partake in this, you can let this moment pass. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you want to become a follower of Jesus, let this be your invitation. That the first thing you do as a follower of Jesus is partake in this, to, that you put your trust, you say, Jesus, I trust you for the forgiveness of sin, that you went to the cross for me. And I believe that you were raised from the dead. And I want you to come live in me. I give my life to you. And I'm welcome, welcome to the table as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple. And so I want to invite you to go ahead and open up the top of the cup. And as you get the bread in your hands, he told the disciples, he said, this bread represents my body that's broken for you you spend just a moment thinking on his sacrifice, thinking on what he endured, what he suffered to be life for us, the bread of life for us.
this is the body of Christ broken for you. covenant represents my blood that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for your blood that was shed. We thank you for the new covenant of grace that we've received. We thank you for the new life that we have in you. Thank you that you have saved us from our sin and that you've given us the promise of eternal life with you. Pray today that the light of eternity would flood into our hearts into our minds, into our worship. As we give you thanks, as we give you glory, as we give you praise, and I pray that Holy Spirit, you would fill every heart, that you would be our guide, that you would be our advocate, that we would learn to trust you in that way, in that place of surrender, and that today would be a fresh receiving of the peace that you provide peace of Christ and as we sing together and declare it's so sweet to trust in you Jesus in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand and worship together Just to